What's going on, everybody? If you don't know, now you do know. You're officially tuned in to a very special edition of the HFWB podcast series. I'm your host, Clifton Pope, and with me today, I have a very special woman, a legendary woman at that. Some people may know who some people may know who this person is, others may not, but just in case you don't know, if you remember the name Dr. Hector P. Garcia, for those who are living in the coastal bend listening right now, this will definitely ring a bell to you. I actually have the daughter herself of Dr. Hector P. Garcia with me, Miss Cecilia Garcia Acres. Keywords Acres, because of course she just recently celebrated her anniversary, if I'm not mistaken, right, Cecilia? That's right, 44 years. I congratulations on that, by the way. And I, and it's funny because I, I want to say, like, when we was at our event that the NAACP event a couple of weeks ago, I remember I think it was your husband who I met originally, and I passed on my information to him, and that's how we got in contact, and here we are today. <laughs> but overall, well, I'm, happy, I'm happy to be here with you. I appreciate it so much to say it's it's an honor and I'm just taking it all in like slowly but surely but for the people who are listening right now Cecilia tell them a little bit more about yourself and where what's your background overall well I am um, Dr. Hector Dr. Hector and Wanda Garcia's daughter I am one of three daughters I was born and raised in Corpus Christi uh-huh. And I got my degree in physical therapy from UT Galveston, but I met and married my husband and we moved and we live in San Antonio, Texas now. So okay. uh, a few years ago, uh, we decided to start our own foundation uh-huh. named after my father. So that's basically, I still do physical therapy, but I really, really want to spend a lot more time uh, promoting and developing the foundation across the country. And it's something that needs to be done because his story needs to be heard. Because everyone, of course, in the South Texas, and I'm sure the whole state of Texas knows his story, but people nationally, I feel like, need to understand his story a little bit more, especially from a Hispanic heritage perspective. Because the way I look at it like this, Black people and Hispanic people are kind of one and the same in a way, because we go through the same struggles, but just different cultures at the end of the day. It's kind of like, it's like they say black and brown pride, right? That, that's the way I fully believe in it. And it's like, I have nothing but the utmost respect for Dr. Hector P. Garcia and his legacy, because his he made, he made an impact within this area that a lot of people don't even know about realistically and i'm sure you have multiple stories you can talk to of course the people listening right now about that which i'm actually going to get into in just a second i was going to ask you you mentioned of course you used to practice physical therapy how did you get into that here we go we're back we are back yes indeed and what i was actually going to ask you was that you mentioned that you were you practiced physical therapy. What yes. made you want to get into physical therapy and what drove you towards doing that? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, my father had plans for me to go to medical school. That was his dream for me to practice uh, medicine with him in Corpus. So what happened was I couldn't get in the first year. It was very competitive. 
my MCAT score was too low. And so I had had physical therapy when I was in high school because I hurt my knee doing cheerleading of all things. So anyway, I went to a physical therapist and rehabilitated myself. And I just had great admiration for that. And so I, I, I decided to go that route. And I, I think it's been a good career for me, 45 years of doing physical therapy. That's incredible. Congratulations for sure. And it's funny. It's funny because at one point I thought about doing physical therapy, but then it was like, ah, do I want to? Did I want to? But it, it probably worked out for the best as far as me not doing it. But at one point I did want to do it. I'm not going to lie. It, it did intrigue me, but I don't know what kept me from doing it exactly. It was strange, but I salute you for definitely practicing it for what you said, 45 years, 45 years. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, what do you feel like is actually going to be the future as far as within that profession you feel like going forward, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I, th I think this COVID crisis is, has really impacted our practice. Right. And like we had, I had never had a COVID patient before until you know, last year. So I had to really redesign my treatment plans and, you know, check oxygen levels and heart rates and blood pressures and gently push them along. But most of them, when they get home, they can't even stand up. Mm. So it, it's just a whole different arena and more respiratory care and more uh, vital sign monitoring and, and making sure that they get back to some functional level that they're happy with after being maybe in the hospital for two, three weeks, sometimes months. So it's a very different type of thing. And I think we're, we have to be more sensitive to that. And then of course, orthopedics, total joint replacements, they're still out there very prevalent because people are living longer and want more active lifestyles. So I think both of those are impacting our profession a lot. I, I got you. I got you. Um, what would you feel like is your best and worst experience you've had within that practice? Oh, well, I don't know. Off you the know, top of your head that you can think of. Yeah, I've had so many rewarding ones, but, but, but I think sometimes you get very difficult patients uh -huh. and they don't want to do anything right. or don't call the office and tell them they want somebody else and then they lie about what you've done or not done. That's, that's, that's very painful. That is the worst part of uh, trying to deal with somebody when you're trying to help them. I think that, I think that would be it. <laughs> that's simple, straightforward to the point. That's for sure. But the real reason that I definitely wanted to bring you on tonight was to talk to you about Dr. Hector P. Garcia. And as far as get a more big picture, as far as what his overall legacy means, it, if there's an untold story that no one knows about him that you could think of off the top of your head, what would it be? Well, you know, he was multidimensional. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I think if you knew him personally, you understood him. But he, to people who didn't know him, he was this sometimes an evil person who, you know, wanted to take things away from them, you know. Uh, but, but I, I think basically, if you knew him, you understood he was a very compassionate man for his patients. And our last luncheon last week, that's what we really focused in on, 
his medical practice and how he was taking care of patients and how they have promoted him through the, the new clinic there, Chris Spahn, practicing medicine the same way that he did with that compassion, not turning people away. And I, I think maybe, you know, his, his, his benefits of being a physician to the very poor and uneducated, I think is probably his greatest achievement, really. If you think about all the wonderful things he did, which he did lots of things, but on a day-to-day level, I think that that's probably how he took care of his patients and never turned anyone away. I, I think I think that's the most touching. That that speaks on one of them actually leads into my next question. You focused on one word, compassion, which sums it up pretty well about him, that's for sure. But if you could think of a couple of other ways to describe him for those who are listening, what would you say off the top of your head? Well, I, I think one of the things I learned from him was to treat everyone the same. Like if he was meeting with the pre- president of the United States, he would be no different with the president than he would be with the man who came over and worked on his car. Mm. I mean, he was the sa- he was the same person, and I and I think that's how he gained so much respect because people knew he was honest, but he treated them with much respect. And I th- I think that's very very important. I learned I learned that from him. That's that's incredible, incredible. So what lead did you start in the whole foundation and everything? What sparked your interest and your drive to do that? Because I'm very curious myself. I want to know. Well, my mother, uh, she uh, was very unhappy with the way her husband was viewed historically because nobody knew anything about him. Right. So she she called me up to her apartment. We moved her to San Antonio from Corpus Christi. She had some health problems and everything. So we had to take care of her, but she called me up one day and was bawling on the phone. I couldn't understand her. So my husband and I went over there and she was crying because they had the American GI form brochure there and not one mention of her husband in it. Uh And that, that was very hard for her. And, and that day I promised her that we would devote the rest of our time uh, making sure that my father was recognized historically for his, for his, his achievements and his, his contributions to this country. So that's how we got started. And I had my, one of my other board members, uh, Steve Arnold, who used to be with the Collar Times. He's a good friend of ours. Okay. He's the one who pulled us together and said, Cecilia, you know, you need to just concentrate on getting your father recognized and forget about everything else. And you have a lot of things there that you can, you can really uh, promote him. And so he said, start your own foundation, which we did. I, I, I respect that because I'm, I'm looking at it right now, like all the opportunities that you're providing, for instance, for education and helping people yes. get through college and everything and provide like, all types of financial assistance. That's just incredible as far as the, how far the journey y'all have come within starting the foundation, how you just described to where you are now. Is there anything coming up that people should be on the lookout for within the foundation? Like any more things? Well, yeah, there's one big thing. Uh, A&M is building a building out there uh, named the Dr. Hector P. Garcia Arts and Media Building. Mm. So we, <laughs> that took us years and years to get to that point. But the legislature with uh, 
Todd Hunter and, and Chewy Hinojosa Hinojosa's help, they got $45 million from the Texas tuition revenue bonds. Okay. So Dr. Kelly Miller is raising money privately to, to try, I think she tried trying to raise 90 million, but we're gonna be heavily involved with that to make sure he's taken care of, make sure his documents are, are put out there. So anybody can walk in and look at them right now. They're very, very hard to, to get to. You can look at some online, but you know we also finance a fellowship every year for a student to go there. So we're doing what we can, but this building I think will help a lot for just the general public to understand more his contributions and his struggles okay. uh, to achieve civil rights, freedoms, and you know healthcare initiatives and different veterans' rights. You know he did all of that, but unless you know what to look for. You can't find those things. So I, I this is a big, big, big accomplishment. We're we're so pleased, but it took us a long time to get here. A long time. And we're gonna continue to keep on pushing and we're gonna continue to get better out of all of this. And that's what I hear. And I'm I'm so proud of you. That just deserves like a round of applause within itself. Thank you, thank you. Of course. Well, you know what? He he deserves it. It's not like I just want his name on a building. I mean, he's a great historical figure. Yeah, he is. I mean, he, he, need, he needs a building named after him on the campus that stores his collection. I don't think that that's a no-brainer. Yeah, he's, he's definitely on the same level as, like, for instance, obviously, the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You could put exactly. them head-to-head head head against each other. Exactly. Similar, like... And it's funny because I think I saw this, I want to say like a week or two ago, like on Facebook, something about it was like a color picture of both of them and how they met at one point and they knew about each other and they respected uh -huh. each other's legacies because they're so similar. But at the same uh -huh. time, they're, they took a little bit of a different approach, but they were pretty much on track accomplishing the same thing, which is equality, which is right, equality. Very slept on and something that needs to be practice a whole lot more more than ever which leads to me asking you this how important is equality to yourself because to me personally equality means the world and that's the only way we can continue to grow and unite and bond as an overall human race because we're all overall just one human race at the end of the day There you go. Oh, we got stuck again. No, it's it's all right. I, I was asking you, what was the what was your what does equality mean to you? Like, what is your personal definition of it? I think that anyone, I don't care what their color skin is or their educational level, has the right to a uh, a decent life. And that includes being able to go vote unmolested. That's the first thing. You should have access to quality health care right. and a quality education. I think that is, should be guaranteed to every U.S. citizen 
I don't care about where you were born or what you look like or anything. Those three things to me are equality. And when you have people who are trying to suppress you to go vote, keep you out of getting quality health care. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's just morally wrong. It just, it really is. And, and I think we need as a country to do a better job. You can't win your own election on your own merits. What the heck are you running for? But to try to keep people from going to vote, I mean, come on. I mean, yeah. you need to do a better job if you can't run on your own merits. I, was, I mean, that's how I look at it. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Like, I was talking to somebody earlier about the whole voting thing and all that stuff. And uh-huh. that's, just, that's just crazy within itself. It is crazy. How are we going to make progress as a society and as a country if we can't even do the one thing that can help get us there, which is vote? You're going to take away that, then we're, you're going to, it's just going to be stagnant and no progress right. made in general. So I, well, I, I think. I, I think the multiple lawsuits that are coming around, you know, proving that the, the vote's being suppressed. But I think right now, today, we have an opportunity to go elect the right people and make sure they're put in there, mm-hmm. uh, put in office. And that includes president all the way down, all the way down. So it's our responsibility. I mean, you sit there and you go, oh, my vote doesn't matter. Well, it really does. Your vote does matter. But if you have the attitude like, I'm not going to go vote because my vote doesn't matter. Well, that, that's wrong. That is, that is a wrong attitude to take. So I think on the ground level, we all have to go vote. You know, every the election we did in 2020, I stood in line for two hours to go vote mm-hmm. at early voting site close to my house. Two hours. And I was happy to do it. You know, I didn't care. But not everyone can stand in line for two hours. Now you can't even get water from somebody if you stand in line. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know what they're going to think of next, you know, but the bottom line is people need help. I mean, they need help. And this not sending in your ballot or not mailing your ballot to you to vote because they change the laws and you forget you know, the four last four digits of your social and your application for a mail-in back. I mean, they're just, they're just grasping at straws. They're just trying to find ways to, to suppress particularly the minority vote. And that's, don't ever forget that because that's exactly what they're trying to do. That's so obvious. And I was, that's been obvious since Trump was in office. I just stood, stood, sat back and just shook my head like, are y'all really going to try to do this again? But overall, yeah. I want to try to make a little slight shift and focus on okay. one word here. Education. How All important right. is that to you personally and how important is it to the foundation going forward? Well, we, we, we have put all of our funding into educational initiatives. Uh, not all of them, because we, we do help Chris respond with their uh, indigent care services. We have, we have promised them 50000 for that. But we have endowments at UT Galveston. Uh, we have our first medical student this year. He's from McAllen. Uh-huh. And we have, we put, we put several at uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. We have given money to Kingsville. Uh, Del Mar College, Incarnate Word Academy. 
just what we do is we go and build relationships with that's what we do we go my husband and i particularly go build relationships with institutions and develop a good relationship and then we sit down and we talk about what are your needs as a as a school and then how can our foundation help you but it's not like just giving money to people we we just can't do that we have a 501c3 so we, we're not even able to pick the recipient. The school has to do that. Okay, okay. But it's good though that you're, you and your husband are definitely trying to make, put that, make, take that next step as far as making a, a difference and seeing, okay, what is it that you need from us? What can we yes. do to help? And that, that's all you really can do. I mean, that's how, all, that's how you start the process of growth and all the way around for the better for both parties. I, I, I agree with you on that. Definitely. My last question I have regarding the foundation, where do you see the foundation, the Hector P. Garcia Foundation in the next five to 10 years in your eyes? Wow. I mean, we've experienced so many, so much growth right now. We're just being open, you know, in operation a few years, but we got to get that building done at A&M. That is critical. And I also, I always ask my husband, what am I going to do after that building's done? He says, oh, you'll think of something. But I think more, <laughs> he says, you'll, you'll think of something else. He always tells me that. But, you know, our, our plans have been very, you know, that clinic at Christus Fund didn't just happen. This building is not going to just, we have, we have made plans. We have collaborated. We have done a lot of behind the scenes politicizing, you know, with, People in state government, uh, you know, Texas State House, Texas Senate, we have worked with them to make sure that my father is taken care of. And, you know, I would like, I don't, he, he could never get a national holiday because they said they don't give them to individuals anymore. We were told that a few years ago. But I, th I think probably more on a national level, we need to work harder on that um, sure. to get this message out. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're getting a lot of hits on our website from all over the, all over the world, really. So, I mean, it is, it is promoting him and probably more on a national level, we would like to see the foundation work towards that. Those are great goals to have. And honestly, I feel like, if Martin Luther King could have a federal holiday, I feel like Dr. Hector P. Garcia should definitely have a federal holiday based on what I mentioned earlier, as far as their similarities and them being right. eye to eye like that. So that definitely needs to happen. And I could see that happening probably within the next five, 10 years, you know, if everything works we out. We have to work on it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that. Continue to make progress. And I really hope to see that. That would be a beautiful thing. And that will show that, hey, Equality is officially taking over America like it should have been a long time ago. But just, yeah. a, but just a few questions here, the questions that sure, I sure. ask everybody before we wrap everything up here. Sure. What is the first thing you do or think of every single day you wake up every single morning? The first thing I do, I thank God for giving me another day. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. That's the very first thing. And I say a prayer. I say a prayer and then, and then when I go out to work to see my patients, I always pray in my car and my vehicle because I'm by myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I just, you know, check on my husband, make sure he's doing okay. And, and, you know, but that, that's what I do. I do long-term planning when I'm by myself and things come to me. And if we got things going, like with this building, you know, I always think about what is our next step and we've come a long way, but we still need a lot of money. So, I mean, it's going to get done. I am very at peace with that. But that's, that's how I operate every day. I thank the Lord what, that I woke up and I'm healthy. I'm a very healthy person. And, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for that because I deal with people all day long who are very ill and functionally not able to, to get around. So at times it's very difficult for me to motivate them. But, you know, I've got a job to do. and My job is to help them have a better life. So I have a very long day, but, you know, it's very rewarding. That's all that counts. The, the rewards will always outweigh the risks that we deal with every single day. And I want to ask you, what does health and wealth mean to you personally, as far as your own personal definition of it? Abuse, 